we are finishing a five-week teaching series, studying verse by verse the book of James. We call it True Religion, based off of James chapter 1, True Religion is taking care of orphans and widows. And really, if you think about the book of James, we, we know this much so far. It was written by the half-brother of Jesus, who became the leader in the early church in Jerusalem, who had accepted faith at some time after his brother's death and resurrection. And now he is living his faith out. He writes this letter to be circulated to Jewish Christians around the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And when they get this letter, the, most of us today are familiar with the first couple of chapters. We've heard about orphans and widows and God's care for them, perhaps. Or maybe you've heard James chapter 2, faith without deeds is dead. Even the demons believe and shudder. Or maybe you've heard James chapter 3, that you should tame your tongue. Didn't Darren doing a great job with that week? And then last week, as Luke talked about covening, maybe that's what you think. But usually James chapter 5 is not at like the top of the priority or memory list when it comes to the book of James. But it's been one of the most convicting chapters I've read in a while. And so I'm just going to tell you uh, this, this weekend, this whole weekend is kind of a special weekend. I don't use that term lightly. It's a special weekend. Notre Dame fighting Irish won another football game last night. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. I, I never get much support for that. I'm always disappointed. But the Buckeyes did knock off the number two team. Congratulations again. We're all happy for you. Uh, but it's awesome. I, I love um, special events and special weekends. They joke that we uh, have a grand opening like every third month around here. But I was uh, thinking about this, this weekend. I actually posted a picture of my wonderful wife online. And I told everybody, my wife, there she is. She's so amazing. And you guys all need to tell her how amazing she is on this very special day. All right. And now <laughs> I've been doing this thing with my wife where I'm communicating, you know, how much I love her over the next couple of months. Each day I'm trying to figure out a unique way to do it. I thought this would be awesome. I'll post it. I never said it was her birthday, but I said it was a special day and everyone will think it's her birthday. And guess what? A bunch of you started writing her. Yeah, see, Teresa, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. A bunch of people started writing her, uh, texting her, posting on her Facebook page, telling her, happy birthday, Lisa. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for that. Uh, my wife, uh, she loved it. She ate it up, and then she knew what I was doing. And I, so when I say, when we use the term, like, special, we know it's special. By the way, my wife's uh, birthday's in July. It's... July 9th, and so is my daughter. My daughter was born on my wife's birthday, so uh, you can remember that, but go ahead. If you have your phones, post on her Facebook page if you're friends with her today. Wish her a happy birthday. That would totally make my day, at least, so. <laughs> but we use the term, like, special, and I, I realized as we're reading this passage, it's really the driver, the umbrella, the why for the, the, the whole letter. Remember, uh, James didn't write five chapters. He wrote a letter, the whole letter of James. And it brings it all full circle. And I, I believe for us, uh, there are about once every six months, uh, maybe every few months, there is kind of a special pivotal moment for our church. I, I think that this passage, what I'm going to share with you today, is going to affect the next year of our church. And I think this is one of those pivotal moments for us, maybe the, the, the pivotal moment for the year. 
And it may not be for you personally, but I believe it will be for the church in general. And so I've been super convicted about this. James chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. And James has a way of writing that only he can get away with. He says this in verse 1 of James chapter 5. It's going to be a special morning. Now listen, you rich people. What a way to write to people. Which, by the way, these aren't like friends of his. He doesn't know these people. He's not saying this sarcastically. He's writing and circulating an open letter to any Jewish Christian. And he begins this, this end of the letter here with, Now listen, you rich people. And that's one of the nicer things he says in the first six verses. Look what he says next. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you. And I love this part. Not really, it's horrible, but read it. And eat your flesh like fire. What a way to really encourage the people you're writing to. Now, in these first six verses, he's not actually talking to the, the Christian church. He, he's talking to those people who had chosen to reject and persecute the Christian church. In fact, at that time, being a Christian, and this letter is written around 70 AD, you were, could be severely persecuted simply for your faith. The first couple hundred years of Christianity was like that, but it got bad around 70 AD because Emperor Nero, the emperor of Rome, the Roman Empire, invaded Jerusalem and destroyed everything in it, set fire to it. And so the Christians, they were scared. And he writes in, with these harsh tones, not to the, the Christians there, but to those who are persecuting. He says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Then he says, look, or old school English I love, behold, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. I'll stop there for just a second. The reason that this is kind of convicting for me, not just these first six verses, but the entire chapter, is it really puts in perspective our time until Jesus returns or until we go to heaven as Christians. And it really forces you as a believer in Jesus to go, do I really believe the things that we talk about? That Jesus was fully God and fully human, that he rose from the grave on the third day, that he overcame death itself, that you could be forgiven for all of your mistakes because of his sacrifice on the cross. And because he conquered the grave, you can live eternally with him in heaven. And eternal life begins when you encounter him. He is now with you and he wants to live out through you in your life. You're on a mission until you get to heaven. If we really believe those things, it begins to shape the way that we live. And that's at the heart, I believe, of what James is getting at in this passage. But when he, he says uh, the self-indulgent people, it really, to me, speaks to a culture that we live in. Most of us know American society today is fairly self-indulgent. Uh, we don't have to, uh, you know, talk a lot about that. Most of us would agree. You could watch our television shows or advertisements or our movies and, or listen to our music to figure that out. But most of us usually feel like, yeah, this is a really good message for those rich people. Right? And I don't know about you, but you don't always internalize it. And, and I've said this before, if you got up this morning and you had clean running water and it actually got warm at some point, if you have access to uh, good hygiene items and you have soap and shampoo 
If you have a, more than one change of clothing, if you drove here in a car that runs or an automobile that moves, you are the richest 1% to 2% in the world. And we often don't know that or see that. If you've spent some time in other countries, I, I, I've spent a number of, of uh, times in different countries around the world where you see extreme poverty, different parts of Africa, different parts of Central America, different parts of Asia. And I, I want to tell you, it's drastically different and will forever change the way that you view humanity. And so when James writes these verses or in the first century to the Jewish Christians, he, he didn't have us in mind, but I believe the Spirit of God can interpret to us today that for those of us in American society, this is for us. And we better listen up. And you may be sitting there uh, like I am sometimes, and you're like, I have $100 in the bank account. How is this for me again? And I, I want to share with you why and how this can shape all of us who are sitting here. He, he finishes this first part here in the, the second half of verse 5. He says, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And the big question I have for you uh, for the entire weekend is, are you living for things that last? Are you living for things that last in your life? We're going to talk about that. Will you pray with me? God, uh, as we look at James 5, these six verses and the 14 verses we're going to look at next. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. I know that we came in here from all walks of life. Some of us have been church-going Christians for decades and decades. Others of us, this is our very first time we've ever stepped foot in this facility or even a church facility in a really long time or ever. And so wherever we're at spiritually, God, we just pray that you would speak to us right where we are. We know you're with us, that we would encounter you again. We thank you in six years how you took a church from meeting in a, a home and a Bible study to a meeting in a school, a meeting in a small building in College Avenue, to moving here, to having a thousand people worship with us this weekend, have 17 outposts meeting around different parts of the city. And we declare that you're the only reason any of that happened. And you're the reason people's lives are getting changed. You're the reason more people are getting baptized this morning. And we just love you and we give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's family said, amen, amen. Now, I love my wife, but I also, I really love sports. Do we have any sports lovers out there? I, I know uh, some of you, uh, Luke Edgerton is always like, Josh, you got to lay off the sports. Eric's like, uh, Maitland, he is like, dude, I don't want to hear about the sports ball anymore. I, 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 I love sports. I love it a lot. And so just deal with it. But I, I had a... Uh, I wanted to help some of you sports lovers out just a little bit. This is mainly a chance for me to brag, so I'd like to do that. If anybody out there played fantasy football, anybody play, come on now. Uh, I want to show you, this is the trophy to uh, the fantasy football league I'm a part of. There are 12 teams in the league we have played for uh, over 15 years. Every uh, year, if you win the trophy, you get your name and your team name put on the plaque. I know this is lame, but deal with it. On the, the side of the trophy, and then you get to hold on to the trophy for the next year and give it to next year's winner. I I'm holding the trophy because I won last year's fantasy football championship. And I really want to help you fantasy football uh, players out a little bit because in the 15 years we've been playing, uh, my name is actually on this trophy the most times of anybody else. 
It's uh, uh, there once and twice and three times. Let's just make sure we get them all. Uh, four times and uh, five times. I'm a five-time champion. I even have one early championship that is not on the trophy. They say it's an asterisk, like the Green Bay Packers, that it wasn't official yet and it didn't count. But, so I always tell people I had six. But I won this trophy because uh, I do the same thing every single year with my fantasy football team. And, and that is I never try and win the regular season. Uh, some of you, you play fantasy football and you try and win that regular season and then you get to the playoffs and you lose in the first round. I see it all the time. I really want to help you out. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. You, you look early on in the season and in my league, there's 12 teams and the top eight make the playoffs. So you would have to be really, really bad not to make the playoffs. So I sandbag the whole season and I look at the last three weeks and try and figure out who are playing the worst teams that they could possibly play, I, you know, like, are they playing the 49ers this year? Not looking real good. So I'm going to pick some players up who play the 49ers in the last three weeks, and I'll lose all season, but if I make the playoffs, I'll win the championship. Yes, there you go. That's your secret for today. You thought you came to church to study the Bible? Nope, I'm giving you fantasy football tips. <laughs> but I share that with you because I realize um, I apply that to something I care about with my friends. But uh, spiritually, what's going on in James chapter 5 is he's, he's not teaching to sandbag it during your life, but he is teaching us to live for something that is going to last, to live more for eternity than we do for just the here and now. Now, let me stop there. You know, some Christians then would say we shouldn't care about things like the environment or uh, racial oppression or uh, sexism in our culture or the massacres that have happened over the, the last decade. Like we shouldn't, we should just care about, you know, heaven and that's it. I, I believe that really hurts the heart of Jesus. I don't see that in the New Testament. I see that what we do with the time that we have been given impacts eternity. And so I'm working hard during the regular season to make sure that at the end I've done things well and I've got a good shot at uh, winning fantasy football. And for us, I want us to live for the postseason is what I'm saying. That when you impact somebody's life now, it could impact eternity. And I'm going to talk uh, some about that. I want to look at James 5 and the verses that happen right after that. That God, who cares about oppression, who cares about your hurt and your pain, he's calling you as a, a Christian, if you were created by God in his image, you've been redeemed and forgiven by him. He now asks you to live on mission for him. And as James is concluding his letter, he talks about the return of Jesus in verse 7. Look with me. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. By the way, autumn and spring rains in the Old Testament, the prophets use that as a metaphor, an analogy to talk about the signs of the times, the signs of the Messiah returning. That James is telling us we should be aware that Jesus is going to return and we should see the signs. Now, I don't know the day or the time, the book of Revelation talks a lot about end times. 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about end times. Parts of Matthew talk about it. And here James references it. I don't know when it's going to happen. It could be tomorrow. It could be 1,000 or 10,000 years from now. I, I don't know. I'm not God. You know, interesting thing is, Jesus doesn't even know the day or the times. He says only the Father knows 
It's a little interesting tidbit. So if Jesus doesn't know, then I know you don't know, and your crazy uncle doesn't know either. But I share that because we can know the signs of the times. And there are many signs today that we are getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus. And when James talks about the return of Jesus in this passage, he says to be aware, like you check for the autumn and spring rains. Verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now here's the really weird thing. If, if I know that the Savior of the world and the Redeemer is returning, and he's going to set the world right. You see a lot of pain and suffering today. God sees it too. One day he's going to come back, and he's going to end that. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want it. He's going to come back, and he's going to put an end to it. And there's going to be no more pain and suffering, we know, in Revelation 2021. 20, so we're going to live with him forever in paradise. However, however, until the return of Jesus, did you notice what he tells you to do? It's not what I would want to do. I want to go... He's coming back. Man, I got to go get stuff ready, right? We got to go tell people about Jesus. We got to go fix some things in our culture. We got to go out and do some stuff. That's not what he says. Some of you that are uh, a little insecure in your faith, I used to do this. I go, man, if he's coming back, I got to get ready. I better pray up every night. I'm I'm laying in bed at night wondering what's going to happen to me if I die or if Jesus comes back and I'm scared to death of it. He didn't tell you to worry either. What did he say to do? Be patient. Stand firm. How many of you like being patient? (laughs) Not me. Most people do not like being patient. And yet the one thing James says is, hey, chill out for just a second. Be patient. Stand firm in your faith. I know in the 70 AD you're being persecuted for your faith. People are dying simply because they have called Jesus their Savior. He says, be patient and stand firm. Keep living your faith out in the small ways. In the small ways. Look what he says next in uh, verses 9 and 10. He goes on and he says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. He says, don't even like tell everybody how wrong they are at everything and turn and grumble and complain. He says, just in other words, the opposite of that would be to love each other through that. He goes on and says, verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. See, you hear, be patient, stand firm, and I go, now wait a second, that doesn't help me in my time of need. If Jesus is coming back, he's not here yet, how about you show up a little bit? And I have to remember a verse like that that says the Lord um, has mercy, he's full of mercy and compassion. And I don't want to make light of anything you're going through. You guys know we lost a child when we moved here to plant the church. He he lived two weeks. One of the hardest things, the hardest thing I've ever been through. I know at that time, I was at times angry with God. I was angry about life. I didn't feel this compassion and mercy that I was supposed to feel. And I learned that often uh, in those times, at least for me, I can't say for you, things get a little foggy. And and it's not always because that God isn't compassionate and merciful uh, that I'm having those feelings. Sometimes I'm not really seeing him for who he is. You go back and read the Old Testament, you see all the atrocities happen, but I bet you've never studied all the times that God showed mercy, grace, and compassion, even in the Old Testament. I had to do it for a course in seminary, and I'll tell you, it's a lot. And so I'd encourage you, if that's you, man, cry out to God. You can be angry with God, 
But also remember verses like this to wait patiently to know that he genuinely is a God of compassion and mercy, even when I don't feel it sometimes. He is good. Verse 12, above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not even by heaven or earth. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Let your yes be yes and your no to be no. Don't grumble against each other. Care about the relationships around you. That the first thing James says, if the Lord is returning, you don't need to go do anything crazy. The first thing you need to do is just chill out, be patient, and love the people around you. Because if you're not doing that first, slowing your life down enough to connect with those that you care about, you're going to miss out on what God's actually doing. Man, I need to hear that sometimes. The Christians during James' day are being persecuted, and he's encouraging them to wait patiently, but also to live dangerously. I got this little prayer with my family. I pray God protect us, but then I say, help us to live dangerously for you. Literally, to live as Jesus until he returns. The 90s, I guess, had it right with the WWJD bracelet. Uh, You essentially are supposed to live as Jesus until he returns, according to James 5. Now, if you're taking notes, number one, three ways to live until Jesus returns. And the first way was wait patiently because Jesus is almost here. The second way is to pray for one another because Jesus is almost here. Look at the verse with me. Is anyone among you in trouble? Verse 13, let them pray. Is anyone, anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now, uh, not everyone needs to be on a microphone when they sing the songs of praise, apparently because Eric won't let me do that. But uh, you are to be singing songs of praise. Is anybody in trouble? They should pray. Is any among you sick? Let them call to the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. He tells us to pray here, and I'm going to go over several ways he tells us to do that. But I realize this. When all the atrocities occurred in uh, Vegas with the mass shooting that happened a few weeks ago, I had friends of mine who were not of Christian backgrounds who were posting, don't tell me about your thoughts and prayers anymore. I don't want any more thoughts and prayers. We need to stop uh, atrocious things like happen there and not just to to think and to pray about it. And I want to tell you, as a Christian, I agree with what they're saying. I agree that we should be uh, making sure that we're not just praying but actually taking action. We should care when the hurricane hits Houston. We should care when the thing happens in Vegas. We should care when all of the horrible things that can happen in this lifetime care because Jesus cares about it, hurts his heart, and it should hurt ours too. He's full of mercy and compassion. But I want to get rid of the idea that praying is an action too. In fact, according to James here, it's the, it's the first action you should take before you go do anything. Because prayer is what brings the power to our action. Because I don't just believe that when I pray and then I do something, that it's me doing it, that God actually can use our lives to change and make an impact in the world. The prayer is actually the most important thing that we do. The problem is we often don't believe the God that rose from the grave on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, that the God that created the universe in six days and took the seventh day to show off, the God that made the sun stand still, that parted the Red Sea, That we think that that God doesn't still want to move and act, and yet he does today. He did in the New Testament times, and he still does today. He's changing lives. We have seen it over the course of six years as a church. We have seen people who had nothing to do with God encounter him and have their whole life changed, get baptized, follow him, be discipled, and eventually lead other people to him. It happens still today. 
We've seen crazy things happen. When we see this verse here that it says, anyone among you sick, let them pray for him. In verse 15, and, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. And he gives you an example. He says in verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced the crops. That Elijah prays, it rains. He says, pray for healing for the sick. And uh, I grew up in a small church in a small town in Indiana where, uh, you know, that felt weird to talk about stuff like that. And maybe that's you. And look, people abuse that all the time, and they try and make money off of it, and they make their TV shows great. But I want to tell you, it is not weird to pray for physical healing for people. That, that is just biblical Christianity. It's right there in James chapter 5. And we'll do it any week. We, we have oil and do exactly what James 5 says. We have the leaders in our prayer room. We'll anoint you with the oil and we'll pray over you. Now, we haven't seen any limbs grow back yet. Nobody's asked us to pray for that. But we have seen some really cool things happen. And I sometimes can't make sense of it. And I, I'm not a doctor. And I would encourage those people to be seen by doctors. We're not that kind of weird, crazy place. But I was just talking to Nathan Clatt right back there, a lead singer of My Yellow Rickshaw, who happens to be uh, gracing us with his, pr his presence. He, he came to our prayer room a couple of years ago, had been having back pain uh, for a while, and we prayed for his back. He has not had back pain since that day. I just confirmed that this morning. I'm not making it up, anyway. I can't make sense of that all the time. I'm not God. I'm not the great physician. Uh, we've prayed for crazy things like people's cancer and they didn't have cancer anymore and, and even then one prayed for their grandchild that had leukemia and it was on the local news that the, the kid didn't have the, the disease anymore. And so I, I can't say that I always know that and there could be sub-stories to that and we want to acknowledge that, but I also know that God still works and he can still change lives and he can still do the things that we read about. And we've seen that happen and it's only weird when weird people make it weird. Does that make sense? And, and we don't really want to do that. We just want to pray for people according to James chapter 5. And so we do it. And it's not the only way James tells us to pray. He tells us four different things we should pray for. Number one, to pray for help. Maybe some of you need to come over to the prayer room today. We have our prayer leaders praying throughout the service every week, and they'd love to be praying for you in there. Whatever you need help with, maybe it's help for a friend or a family member. Uh, maybe uh, according to verses 14 and 15, you want to pray for healing that we just read. Or maybe it's verse 16, you want to pray for forgiveness for something or to forgive someone else for the things they've done. Or maybe it's to pray for miracles like Elijah in verses 17 and 18. I, I don't know. But I believe that the power in our action comes when we encounter God, we talk to him, and we ask him to show up. That's where the power comes to our action. And so if Jesus is going to return, James tells us that, number one, wait patiently because Jesus is almost here. Number two, pray for one another because Jesus is almost here. And number three, then, after you've done that, you've prayed up, you've chilled out for a second, known that he's the Savior and you're not, and you don't have to save the world, then you begin to lead others, lead people to faith, because Jesus is almost here. And that's where we try and change the culture around us. That's where we begin to take action and stand up for those who are marginalized. That's where we begin to talk to our friends and our family, our oikos, the 18 to 15, and our sphere of influence about how God's changed our lives. We want to lead other people to know him. Maybe that's, you look at verses 19 and 20. It says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from the death and cover over a multitude of sins, that he wraps up his letter by reminding them, after you've done these things, the Lord is coming back. We don't have that much time. 
Go tell somebody about what God has done in your life. See it change someone else's life. I believe that's what we should do. And we talk often about using our time, our talents, and our treasures to accomplish that. We have people doing it every week. In fact, this weekend, like the the media team you see here, most of them are here for the entire weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, all four services serving uh, so that we can have an online campus and we can do all the things that we do. We have our kids' ministry. How many of you are like, man, I just would love to get up on the Sunday morning and go in there with a bunch of snotty-nosed kindergartners and try and get them to pay attention and tell them about Jesus? But you know what? They love it because they can't wait to tell one more kid about Jesus Christ. And they're going to do it because that's leading the next generation to faith. And we are excited for the hundreds of volunteers that we have doing these things every single week. And the outpost leaders that are living out on mission and the discipleship huddle leaders that are leading into huddles and our, and our rooted facility team leaders and those uh, going to rooted and plugging in currently. Like those are the things that we want to see God make an impact with our time, our talents, and our treasures. But as we close out, as I was reflecting on this, there's a pivotal moment for our church right now where we have, over the last six years, seen this healthy church of a 1,000 people get formed. We actually did some things that church plants don't normally get to see happen. We, we, we bought this facility. We, we came in here and renovated it for less than half of what it should have cost us to do it because hundreds of you volunteered to do all of this stuff. Other churches even painted the walls in here. I don't know if you knew that, but we just had hundreds of volunteer laborers in here. It was awesome. And, and now we're at a place where uh, in nine years, we will have paid this building off. That's taken some stewardship on our part to say this, we're going to prioritize that to get debt free, and it'll be all done. And, and we get to give more and more money away, and we want to get to the point where 50% of the resources are going out the doors this year. It's between 35 and 40%. It's awesome. Next year, we're shooting for over 40%. And, I, you know, most churches, if they're good, give away 10%. So you guys are doing it. And we could just go on doing it for the rest of our lives as Christians, but in my experience, that usually leads to stagnation in our faith. And, and I don't know about you, but I believe Jesus, like he's asking us to do, is patiently waiting until the last person receives faith in Jesus. And then he will return. The New Testament actually tells us that. And so that our job, until he returns is to do this third and final point to lead other people to him. We gotta pray it up. We gotta chill out and love people in our sphere of influence well first, not last. But as we lead other people to him, some of us need to expand the vision for what the God of the universe could accomplish with our lives, could accomplish with our lives. And I wanna give you a a couple ways that you can do that. And the first one is this. I didn't mention this last night. Uh, We have, for the very first time, a conference that is meeting here this Thursday. There is free childcare that's going to be offered. Any uh, moms or dads that are stay at home out there, the free childcare. It's like a day of vacation. I can even hook you up with a discounted or even free ticket if you talk to me, josh at mercyroad.cc, or you can just sign up at multiplyindiana.com. But register there. Uh, you can use the code MI. 
uh, church for, I believe it's a discount on there. And if you sign up online there and register there, you can come. We've got free child care, and we're going to have an amazing conference talking about church planting and how to use our time, talents, and treasures to expand the kingdom of God in our lifetime throughout the state of Indiana. It's going to be awesome. We have church planters coming from multiple states. We've got speakers coming uh, from multiple states and people with decades and decades of church planting experience. It's going to be amazing. The couple of network leaders, including the, the networks that we're a part of, the leaders of the entire network are going to be there. Come out. It's the first time we've done this. We already booked next year. Albert Tate is going to be there next year. It's a, it's a huge thing that we're starting this year. We need your help. It's a startup. We, we want to see as many as we can come right here to this space. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're going to sacrifice some time and talents to see that happen. Um, maybe you're going to go Friday night to the, the singles event that one of our outposts is putting on. It's going to meet right here as well. Justin Masterson, former uh, professional baseball player and all-star in the MLB, will actually be here speaking with his wife, Merrill at that. Don't miss it on Friday night, a singles event. But the, the final thing, maybe to expand the vision, I, I want to talk about how we can do that as a church. And to me, um, this is where this could really change the future of our church. It's, it's uh, every year we do an um, end-of-year giving campaign uh, to help make a greater impact around the world. And uh, we're doing it again this year. It's called Expand the Vision. By the way, we are took an offering, so everybody chill out. Nothing's going to happen today. The Expand the Vision campaign is this year, um, we called it something bigger because it's the biggest thing we've ever tried to do before. It may be our worst idea ever. I don't know. We'll find out. I think it's going to be our best idea in a long time because we really want to see God expand the vision for what the church has been doing. And we're going to do some things like finally finish this facility that we weren't able to finish. Uh, how many people know that Tenoria Askew, top four finalist and master chef on uh, Fox Television and local celebrity, is our hospitality team leader. She volunteers here at the church. How many of you knew that? And we have this amazing um, space that the Borders bookstore that was here before had a full kitchen in there. But there are no appliances. There's nothing built out in it. And for two years, they've been asking us to do that. And I'm like, no, we don't have it. We're trying to reach people for Jesus. Leave us alone. And <laughs> we finally decided that was just wrong. Um, and so how many people would love to see Tenoria and her team get a kitchen, baby? And we are going to make it happen. Um, that isn't going to be, that's just one small portion of what we're going to do. What we're going to try to do is raise $450,000 in end-of-year giving, which seems astronomical and impossible to me, but God's done crazier stuff in the past, and I believe he can still do that today. And uh, two-thirds of that is going to go outside the walls of our church. In fact, um, we have seen so much happening in church planting and new Christians being made that we want to expand the vision in that area of our church. Multiply Indiana is growing rapidly. We planted four churches just this last year. Do you know that? Four churches. Other, I went to this, uh, this, this network of 200 churches at this conference. They had us get up and share that because I'm getting phone calls from people around the country that can't believe what's happening. They invited us into this little secret cohort of people that are like in the top 3% of church planting churches in the entire country. And I don't know if you know that, but we're one of them. And they can't get over what's happening and they want to know how is it happening. We're planting more churches than any church in entire, our entire network, except for some churches in Mexico. So we got to beat those, uh, the Mexican churches. You need to help USA, USA. 
No, okay, but actually, you, we love those guys. Uh, your funds have helped plant a whole bunch of churches in Mexico. It's, it's pretty cool what they're doing as well. But we want to plant more churches, and, and eventually, uh, Multiply Indiana will be self-sustaining. We don't, uh, it won't, do, we won't have to be the ones to make it all happen financially. Every church plant gives 3% of their resources back to Multiply Indiana, but they're all church plants right now. But you, so they don't have a whole lot of money. But you know what? Uh, right now, our church grew about 300 a weekend over the course of the last year. That's amazing. 300 more people every weekend. But did you know, in addition to those 300 more people, today there will be double our sizes of church worshiping in four different locations in the state. So we not only grew by 300, we also doubled the kingdom during that same time. Hope City Church in Carmel. We got over in Avon Echo Church, City of Lights Church down at 38th and Keystone. They're killing it. And a, a small church reaching addicts in Bloomfield, Indiana called Rebuilt. They're all going to be at the conference this week, by the way. And so it's incredible what's happening. We've already partnered with another church plant to plant downtown um, this coming year. God is just growing it rapidly, and uh, church plants for 2,000 years have produced new Christians the fastest. It's not that we need more buildings or more churches. We need more people reach for Christ, and so that's what we're doing. It's incredible the work that's happening, and so we're going to plant at least four churches with that, if not more. We're going to see 50,000 go to local mission and 50,000 go to global mission. Uh, the global mission, there's going to be a number of those I'll share next week, at least a couple. Um, and then the local mission, um, we're going to partner with a prison rehabilitation program in Brazil, Indiana, where this guy, uh, they've owned this facility. They haven't been able to finish. And I think they can only have about eight people in there. And we're going to, I think, double the size of what they could reach by helping them finish that facility. $50,000 of that will go to Inside Out Recovery. You can check it out online in Brazil, Indiana, Inside Out Recovery. And we're actually not just going to send money again, time, talents, and treasures. We're going to send us. We're going to send teams down there to help with the renovation and figure out how we can make an impact uh, through that ministry as we help people as they get out of prison, get enculturated uh, again into society. It's going to be awesome. And then the final piece of the puzzle, so two-thirds of it goes outside the wall and one-third uh, goes inside the wall this year that we're finally going to finish the facility, uh, and that includes the kitchen. It includes Mercy Kids area. Look, we got a great Mercy Kids space and designed all that, but we, we never got to finish it. You go into the family lobby, there's no, you know, nothing on the walls. We don't have a counter out there. We don't have the ki kids stuff. We're not going to spend a whole bunch of money and try and get into like an arms race with other local churches. We just want to simply uh, finish what we set out to do, and then we're going to do the environmental design for the interior and exterior of the building, and, and that way we get it all completed. And uh, that's super cheap to do all that, by the way. And so we want to see how can God expand the vision of what we've already been doing. And it feels overwhelming to you. It feels overwhelming to me. And then God does these types of things. Um, we have uh, uh, some people that are offering already a $150,000 uh, matching grant. And so if we match that, we're already two-thirds of the way there. If you would have told me six years ago that kind of stuff would be going on, I'd say, you're crazy. I've never seen that sort of thing happen, at least not in stuff I've been a part of. And so we're excited for what God is doing, and we believe this is going to expand the reach of what we could do. You could come here for as long as you want and never give a dime. We're not after your money. But for those people who are a part of our community and want to expand what God is doing, we believe that this is going to change the future and the direction, not just of our church, but of the state of Indiana and the greater kingdom work that is happening here. 
I ask you to pray and do what it says in this passage. Ask God, what would you have me do? It's going to take sacrifice. I mean, literally, my wife and I are like, do we need to like, we got some stock that we saved up for retirement. Do we just need to donate that and trust God's going to provide? Or we, you know, I'm always like, do we need to sell the house? I'll be honest, like I think these things, like do I need to like do something crazy? I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like for us yet. I don't know what it's going to look like for you to begin to pray about those sorts of things. And say, God, if one more person has reached for Jesus Christ, I want to be a part of that because I want to lead people to faith because Jesus is almost here.